Um, my name is Dineo, and I will be doing the reading for us tonight. We're reading from Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 23. Okay. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, everybody. It is so lovely to see you all. Yeah, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for coming out this evening. I know it's been wet and cold. And it's so lovely to see you all, and it's so lovely to be together as God's people. Isn't it wonderful to sing, to praise God, to lift our hearts, our eyes, our minds away from ourselves, and to praise God. So lovely to have you here. If you are new here this evening, my name is Martin. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the old man at the church. You know what I often say? I say our our church believes in ancestors. And I'm the ancestor. So, All right, Romans chapter 6. Now, you may remember uh, about three weeks back we uh, were in Romans 5. We've been working through, David's been working through the book of Romans. And it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. And uh, David's been working through that. We've had a two, three-week break. We're back in Romans chapter 6. And uh, over the next three weeks, I'm going to be taking you through chapter 6 and chapter 7. So um, I hope you can join us for these three weeks as we work through these two chapters. They're not, they're not easy chapters. And um, you need to do some work. I've been working so hard this week to understand this and to be able to make it clear. Perhaps at the end of it, it will be as clear as mud. And then you need to go to David and say, David, can you try and make it simple that I can understand it? But I do pray that it will be clearer at the end of this evening. But you do need to put your thinking caps on, and you do need to have your seatbelt on, 
And you do need to have your Bible open in front of you because it's my job, as is every preacher's job, certainly in this church, to teach what the Bible says, not what I say. We want to know what God thinks. We don't want to know what Martin thinks because that will get you nowhere. Let me pray and let's uh, start. Father, we thank you that we can meet together this evening in the cold and the wet. We thank you that we are here amongst your people. We thank you that you have an appointment with us when we gather in your name. And so we do pray, Lord, that your word and your spirit may do its work and may draw us to yourself. So, Lord, we do pray for that. We pray that we may be encouraged, we may be taught, we may be convicted, we may be above all drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ and to love him more. So will you help us and will you help me to make this passage clear to all of us? And I pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Chapter 6 and 7 of Romans are critical chapters because it deals with the issue of sin and the Christian. And if you're a Christian, you know that's a very important issue because if there's one thing we battle with, it's sin. It's a relevant uh, portion of Scripture, chapter 6 and 7, because there's so much confusion out there and there's a lot of questions for all of us in here. Questions like, if you're a real Christian, should you still sin? If you're a real Christian, shouldn't you live without sin? Questions like, if I only had enough faith and prayer and fasting, shouldn't I be able to live a victorious Christian life above temptation and struggle? What do we do with churches and so-called men of God who tell us that if only you buy their book, their seven-week course, if only you take their secret, if only you buy their pill, if only you have fire, 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 <laughs> you will live in a place where there's no struggle, there's no defeat, there's no illness, there's no poverty, there's no temptation, there's no sin. What do we do with that kind of teaching, which is all around us, on every street corner? Much more personally, we will have questions. Like, do I lose my salvation when I sin? Or perhaps I won't lose my salvation, but do I become a second or third class Christian? I must just sit in the back. What do I do? Where do I go when I struggle with a particular sin? And all of us, without exception, you and me, all of us will have one particular area that we struggle with. Different things for different people. What do I do with that? When I fall again and I sin again. So those are all serious questions. And they need serious answers. So I hope over the next three weeks I'll be able to answer at least some of those questions. But you won't get it all this evening. You'll have to come the next two weeks. So how's that? All right, we're going to have a look at chapter 6 under two main headings. And they're given to us in the passage. Um, verse 1 to 14, there are two images. 1 to 14, dead to sin and alive to God. And then verse 15 to verse 23, dead to slavery and alive to freedom. So those are the two images that Paul gives us. And I'll unpack this passage. really will be helpful if you have the Bible open in front of you. First, we need to just quickly look at the main point of chapter 5 that we left three weeks ago when David ran out the door and I had to jump up here and end his sermon. Um, let's pick up some, just the main point of chapter 5, because the main point of chapter 5 leads us into chapter 6. So have a look at chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying? We are put right with God. We are justified. God declares us not guilty. Not because of our church membership. Not because we've obeyed the Ten Commandments. Not because we read the Bible. Not because we try and be good people. But because of our faith in Christ and the cross of Christ. We have been justified. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, not by works, not by religion, not by baptism. No, justified by faith in Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Main theme, chapter 5, verse 6. Notice there, though we were weak. Chapter 5, verse 6, though we were ungodly. Chapter 5, verse 8, though we were sinners. Chapter 5, verse 10, though we were enemies of God, God took the initiative and sent his son to reconcile us to God by dying on the cross. So notice there, verse 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us outside of Christ. Notice verse 8 again, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for us when we were seeking him. Christ didn't die for us when we were trying to be good. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, chapter chapter 5 verse 10, while we were enemies. So that title at the top of chapter 5, Peace with God Through Faith, spot on. We have peace with God, not through water baptism, not through fire, 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 not through prayers and fasting and tithing, not by obeying the Ten Commandments. No, we are right with God through faith in Christ. Now, I have often drawn this drawing, and you will know it, and perhaps you can one day use it, but there may be one or two people who haven't seen this drawing. So important that we understand it. This is the message of chapter 5. Here is you and me. Here we are. And here is God. And this is, this is religion. Any kind of religion. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, churchianity. There are certain steps you must climb if you want to find God. Certain things you must do. That is religion. You must live in a certain way. You must obey these laws. You must keep these these uh, these commands. You must live so. Within Islam, you have the five steps of Islam, the five principles. In Hinduism, you have an eightfold path. That is religion. That is what you do. Churchianity says: go to church every day, pay your tithe, read your Bible, don't kick the dog, and then hopefully. Be nice to your wife. Then hopefully you will know God. That is religion. Chapter 5 says, no, that is not how you know God. God has taken the initiative. He sent his son to die upon the cross. And because of what Christ has done on the cross, we can be reconciled with God. That's chapter 5. It's by grace. It's a gift. If you think you have to work for it, you don't understand it you think you have to work for it, you don't understand it. It's grace. It's a gift. Now, chapter 6. Now, chapter 6. Notice how chapter 5 ends, quickly. Chapter 5, verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So Paul is saying, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, how bad it is, how deep it is. Grace can cover it. Grace reigns. It triumphs. Verse 21, as sin reigned in death, grace reigned in righteousness. So it's the triumph of grace. It's the death of self-salvation. That's the gospel. Against the stench of our human sin and guilt is the pleasing aroma of the grace of God that overflows, that overrides, that overcomes. It doesn't matter what you've done. Now bad it is. There's grace. But wait a minute, chapter, chapter 6, verse 1. Wait a minute, say the critics of Paul. Wait a minute, say the scribes and the Pharisees who believe that 
It's only the Ten Commandments that can restrain sin. Wait a minute, says your wonderful uncle or aunt, who go to church every Sunday. Chapter 6, verse 1, wait a minute, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I mean, if grace covers everything, well, why don't we just carry on in sin? Because grace will cover it. Chapter 6, verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? That's the question Paul's critics were asking. And that's what some of our family members and friends will ask. They're good churchgoers. They obey the Ten Commandments. And they're not so sure about this Christ Church Midran that teaches you about free grace. Paul, if you say, this is what they say, Paul, if you say, the more sin, the more grace. If you say that grace will cover every sin, if you say there's no sin too big enough for God's grace not to cover, then surely that encourages bad people to stay bad. Because you can just go back to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, your grace. Surely, surely it encourages people to be careless about sin. So Paul, I can, so Paul, I can just lie and steal and cheat. I can sleep around. I can murder. I can, I can commit adultery. It doesn't matter how long I live because in the end, God will forgive me. I mean, that's his job, isn't it? I mean, that's his job description, KPI. <laughs> forgive. Paul, if, if grace is free, aren't you saying that to obey the Ten Commandments or to try and live a godly, holy life and a moral life doesn't matter. Paul, everyone knows that any self-respecting religion should turn bad people and make them good people or at least make them less bad. Everyone knows that. You're just throwing that out the window. You're encouraging people to be careless about sin. You're giving them a license to sin. You're giving them a free pass. Remember the last time you got a free pass? Perhaps it was a concert or it was a, a, a music evening and someone gave you a free pass because they knew someone behind the scenes. Paul, you are giving people a free pass just to sin. Now Paul answers them with these two images. First image, notice there, verse 1 to 4, dead to sin but alive to God. Let me read verse 1 to 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul says, for those who are saying that grace just gives you a license to sin, that grace just makes you careless with sin, by no means. Same thing, verse 15. What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. When he repeats that, it's a very strong statement. He's saying, absolutely, absolutely not. I'm not saying that. Don't you dare even talk like that. That's not what grace is about. You don't even understand grace. In fact, no Christian will say that. No, says Paul, verse 2. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ? We've been baptized into his death. We were buried with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Quite obvious, Paul says, you are not going to sin. Why? Because you've died to sin. You are dead to sin. You're no longer enslaved by sin. You've been set free from sin. You've entered a new life, a new era. There's the past and there's the present. So why do you want to live in sin when you've just been rescued from it? Now, you may say, well, that's... You may ask the question and say, Paul, that sounds like a good idea, but when and how did that happen? When did I die to sin? Because I'm still struggling with sin. When did I die to sin? Well, let's have a look what Paul says. So we've got to follow his argument. Paul says, you died to sin. Why? Because you were united with Christ. Verse 3. You were baptized into Christ, baptized into his death. So when did you die to sin? You would die to sin when you became a Christian. When we see the word baptism, we think of water baptism. But uh, that may have been included because they were first-generation Christians, but he's really talking about spirit baptism. You become a Christian by the Spirit. You are baptized by the Spirit when you are converted Sometimes people ask, have you been baptized by the Spirit? And often their question is, after you become a Christian, you need to be baptized in the Spirit. Paul is not saying that. That The the Bible doesn't say that. You are baptized in the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian. So you remember John chapter 3, Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He said, you must be born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You cannot be a Christian. You cannot be born again unless the Holy Spirit has given you new life. So he's saying here, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, when you were converted, when you were regenerated, God placed his Spirit within you. You were united to Christ in both his death and his resurrection. So Paul is saying, let's take, let's take David here. Paul is saying, David, David, when you became a Christian in Rustenburg, of all places, imagine, when you became a Christian in Rustenburg, God, as far as God was concerned, in terms of your legal status, the death of Christ was your death. The death of Christ was the death of your sin. The death of Christ was the death of your guilt. God no longer holds your sin against you. You have died to sin legally. The penalty for sin has been paid. David, your sin, your guilt, your shame, your moral garbage, even the penalty for your sin has been dealt with in Christ. Have a look at verse 7, key verse. And the ESV or the NIV don't help us. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That word set free, there's a little note there. It's actually the word justify. For one who has died has been justified from sin. So when you when God regenerated you, David, in Rustenburg, that is a miracle. That's two miracles. <laughs> David and Rustenburg. He no longer counts David's sin against him. The penalty of his sin has died. It died on the cross of Christ. God will never, ever, David, hold your sin against you. It has died. It's dead. Notice the past tense. So that's a key here. Verse 4. David, you were buried by baptism into death in Christ. You were, verse 5 in Rustenburg. You, for if we have been united, past tense. Verse 6, past tense again. We know that our old self was crucified, past tense, in Rustenburg. Verse 8. Now if we have died, if we have died with Christ, past tense. Your penalty has been killed. It's dead. But there's more, David. You know those adverts? There's more. This is where it comes from. It comes from Romans 6. There's more. But there's more. 
Not only did, did you die to sin when Christ died, but you were raised to new life when Christ was raised from the dead. Notice verse 4b. Notice here. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Notice verse 5. For if we have been united with him in, in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So David, in Christ you died. In Christ you were raised from the dead. In Christ you now live to please God. Just by the way, notice verse 5 and verse 8. We taste the resurrection now, which is forgiveness and peace and joy. But he's actually talking mainly about a future resurrection. So you have the future tense there, verse 5. For if we have been united with him, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection. It's future. Verse 8, same thing, it's future. Death no longer... We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That's verse 9. Verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We taste that resurrection now, but one day we'll have it in all its fullness. So, so the Bible teaches that when we die in the new heaven and the new earth, our body will be resurrected you won't just have a spirit and soul, you'll have a body, a real body. Just like Jesus' body was resurrected physically, objectively, historically. He had a real body. He ate fish. It didn't just disappear like a ghost. No, he ate fish. People touched him, saw him, spoke to him. We will have real bodies. In fact, you will have, David, imagine, you will have a perfect body. I mean, that's a third miracle. I'll have a perfect body. You'll all have bodies like me. Gray hair, bald, the body. We will have real bodies, resurrected bodies. Two comments before we look at the second image. Not only has Christ dealt with the penalty of sin, he's dealt with the power of sin. The dominion of sin. So the penalty is verse 7. For one who has died has been justified from sin. The penalty of your sin has been paid for on the cross. But he's not talking here about sins. The things we do. He's talking about sin in the singular. Notice that verse 2. Who died to sin. Notice that verse 7. Who has died, been set free from sin. Meaning the power of sin, the dominion of sin, the chains of sin. Sin is like a monster. It's like a tyrant. It's like an evil slave master. That power has been broken. Christ has freed us. Now in a moment, we'll see, we still struggle with the presence of sin. But he has broken the power of sin. We no longer have to sin. Notice how he's broken the power, the chains, the psychological grip. Verse 6b. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's the power. Verse 7. We've looked at 7. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Sin before we are Christians is like a slave master. It's like a tyrant. It has you in its grip. You almost have no choice but to sin. But Christ has broken the grip. He's broken the power. He's broken the dominion. You no longer have to sin. 
And interestingly, if you're a real Christian, you no longer want to sin. You sometimes do, and it grieves you, which is actually a sign that you're a Christian. You no longer want to. Imagine, let me try and illustrate this. Imagine two illustrations. A 10-year-old boy living on the streets of Hillbrow, sniffing glue, smoking cannabis, drinking half bottles of beer lying in the gutter, living outside. It's rough. Someone adopts him into a family, into a home here in Midrand. Not Rustenburg, Midrand. (laughs) There's a home. There's loving parents. There's security. There's safety. There's food. Sometimes his friends call him. Come and have some glue. Come and have some cannabis. Sometimes he's tempted then he realizes, no, I belong to a new family. I belong to a new father. I don't need to go back to that. Another picture. Imagine if you committed a crime, stole funds, corruption, Steinhoff, Deloitte, Tembisa Hospital. You tried, you're convicted, you are sentenced to prison five years at Sun City. And you try to escape before your time is up. So you try and climb over the wall. You try and hide yourself in the laundry basket. Uh, You've seen the movies. And uh, every time they catch you and you have no choice, you've got to go back because you've got to pay off the penalty. You've got to pay off the time. However, when you are set free, when you've served your sentence, your time, you've paid your penalty... That prison warden no longer has any power over you, legally or actually. You're free. The prison warden may say, David, come back. We'll improve the food. (laughs) Well, David, we're going to give great food. There'll be new, there'll be fresh new um, towels. Uh, We'll give you air con. We'll give you two-ply toilet paper. (laughs) Come back. David says, no, I don't need to go back. I'm no longer under that power, that dominion. So it is with sin. It's no longer your slave driver. It's no longer your slave master. It no longer has dominion over you. It's no longer in charge. It's no longer your boss. The only power that sin has is lies and bluff. Like the prison warden. Come back, David. The food will be lovely. Now you can say, you are no longer my boss. You are no longer my master. Get out of here. You're no longer in charge. I don't have to obey you. I don't belong to you. You have no legal hold on me. I don't have to do what you say. When Christ died on the cross, he not only died for my sin, I died with him. You are no longer my boss. Second comment. As you've been listening, perhaps you got more depressed. Because you say, Martin, you talk about the penalty of sin, that it's been paid. You talk about the power of sin, that it's been broken. Why am I then still struggling with sin? Why do I still live with temptations and sometimes give in? Why is there one particular area that I keep falling? Every day, every week. Evidently, there's birthday candles. I've never seen them in, in real life, but perhaps you buy them at the Mall of China, that these, these special trick birthday candles that you blow them out and then they come back. Are there candles like that? Martin, why is sin like that for me? I blow it out and then two days later, a week later, it's back. Paul makes quite clear here that though Christ has broken, 
Christ has paid for the penalty of sin. Christ has broken the power of sin. We still in this life live with the presence of sin. So if you as a Christian still sin from time to time, sad as it is, that is still part of the normal Christian life before we get to heaven. If we were free from the presence of sin, Paul would not have had to say, verse 12, let sin, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. If we were totally free from the presence of sin, Paul wouldn't have had to say that. Paul wouldn't have had to say, verse 13, do not present your members to sin as as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. He wouldn't have had to say that. Paul wouldn't have had to say, we'll get to this in two weeks' time, chapter 7, verse 15. Notice what Paul says in the present tense. He's not talking as a non-Christian. He's talking as a Christian. He says, chapter 7, verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Do you sometimes feel like that? I do. And we're in jolly good company. Notice what he says, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in, dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So what is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying Christ has paid for the penalty of your sin. Christ has broken the dominance, the grip, the power of sin. But we still live in this life with the presence of sin which we need to battle. And we'll look at that in just a moment. Let me try and draw it here. Very important that we get this right because the churches on every street corner don't get it right. Okay, your life My life is in two volumes. So here's volume one. Volume one is BC, before Christ came into my life, your life. We were facing the penalty of our sin. We were facing the power of sin. We were facing the presence of sin. Sin had total dominance. Perhaps if you're not a Christian, that's you. Sin has total dominance. Sin will kill you. The greatest weapon of mass destruction is sin. It will kill you. That is where you and I were, B.C., before Christ. They were all there. Volume 2. Volume 2 is after the death of Christ. Now you're a Christian. You live in a new era. You're a new person. The penalty of Christ has been dealt with. The power of Christ has been broken. But in this world, we taste the resurrection, but we don't yet have it in its fullness. We still struggle with the presence of sin. But then there's a volume three. Did I tell you about the volume three? Volume three. (laughs) Volume three. And there's more. I told you, there's more. Okay. This is, what is that sign for? Infinity. Okay. Here is the new heaven, the new earth. What happens? Penalty of sin has been cancelled. The power of sin has been cancelled. And the presence of sin, praise God, has been cancelled. Amen. So, you are in one of these two volumes. You are in this volume, before Christ. Penalty, power, presence of sin is there. You almost have no choice but to sin. Or you could be here, after you came to faith in Christ, after the death of Christ. The penalty of sin has been paid for. The power of sin has been broken. Sadly, the presence of sin is still here. We don't yet have it in its fullness, so we still struggle with sin day to day. But one day, it will all be eradicated. And none of us are yet here, but I'll be there before you. (laughs) Okay, let's... I've got five minutes. Or something. Okay, second image. Second image is much shorter. Have a look, verse 15 to 18. Dead to slavery and alive to freedom. 
Notice what Paul says. You with me? You still there? Yes? Amen. Amen. Good. Amen. What then, verse 15, dead to slavery and alive to freedom. What then, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, us, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Have a look, verse 16. Paul says, come with me to the slave market. Let's go to, to, uh, to the nearest slave and ask him who his master is. And he will tell you. But you don't know if he's telling the truth or not. So how do you know? Well, just watch him. See whom he obeys. Here comes a man, tells him what to do, and he does it. Well, that man is his master. Paul says, verse 16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? So you may call yourself a Christian, but if there's been no change of life, well, you're not a Christian. We just have to watch. There are many people who call themselves Christians, but there's been no changed life. I'm not saying you're perfect, but there's no changed life. The general trend of their life hasn't changed. Well, then you know who their master is. It's not God. The philosophers of the Enlightenment, like Rousseau, said we are born free. We are autonomous. You can be your self-made man, self-made woman. Paul says no, absolutely no, by no means. All human beings are slaves. It's our DNA. You're either slave to sin or you're slaves to God. But everyone's a slave. Isn't that what Jesus said, John chapter 8, verse 34, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Well, that's the condition of every non-Christian, every unbeliever. So the unbeliever may see him or herself as being free or autonomous, but no matter who you are, you are only free to be yourself. And every person from birth is in bondage to sin. Our three great enemies, the world, the secular godless world, the flesh, my own flesh, or the devil. You all know that saying, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Where does divorce come from? Where does gender-based violence come from? Where does the war in Ukraine come from? Where does the toxic politics in America come from? The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. You're either a slave of sin or a slave of God. So forgive me, but an obvious example would be the slavery of alcohol. I'm not saying alcohol is a sin, but it can become a sin. So you're 19, you're at university, you're free from your home, your family, you can do as you like, you can go where you like, you can eat and drink what, what you like, what you especially love are parties and alcohol, and slave is, not slave, alcohol is your servant. Alcohol is your plaything, it's your slave gives you thrills, gives you fun. Time passes. Now you're 29. Now you're 39. And it's changed. Alcohol has become your master. And you are the slave. You can't get through the day without your plaything. You've seen that in perhaps an uncle or an aunt. You know exactly what I'm talking about. They are in slavery to alcohol. What they thought, they thought they were the master. It wasn't long before they became the slave. There's only one escape, verse 17. 
But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. What is that? That's the gospel. It's the gospel, verse 17, that sets us free from sin to become slaves of Christ, verse 18. All right, let me close. What do I do with temptation and sin in my life as a Christian? How can I grow in obedience? How can I grow in godliness? What do I do with that one area in my life where I'm struggling? Chapter 6, verse 11 to 13. So you also must consider yourselves, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So Paul says, verse 11, sin has no legal right over you. Stop listening to sin. Stop obeying sin. Stop giving your eyes, your ears, your hands, your feet, your mouth to sin. In, in actual fact, it all starts in the head. That's where it starts. It starts in the head. Which is why Paul repeatedly says, do you not know? Do you not know? Think about it. Let me share with you temptation, sin in my life, Martin. What happens? It always starts in the head. There's not much there, but it's, that's where it starts. It starts in the head. A thought pops into my mind. I'm driving in the car, and there's a half-naked woman on a billboard. It's everywhere, isn't it? And a thought pops in my head. My ears hear some really juicy gossip about a family member, and a thought pops into my head. My heart gets irritated with someone. It's just a seed, but it starts to germinate. It starts to grow. And in my mind, instead of cutting it off, so in a garden, when the weeds come up, you cut it off straight away. If you don't cut it off straight away, it grows. It takes over the garden. But with Martin, instead of cutting it off, he feeds it. He waters it. He chews over it. You know, like a cow. Chewing the cud. It goes round and round and it grows. And before long, you have a full-grown, lustful thought. Before long, I lose my temper and say things I shouldn't say. Before long, I share some gossip which causes real damage. So where was the book? Where was the battle lost? It was lost in my mind. Sin was playing games in my mind. So sin was saying, Hey, buddy. Have you heard that advert? I hate that advert. Hey, buddy. Sin says, hey, buddy. I'm still your boss. I'm your fun boss. I'm a bit lonely. Just give me a bit of time. Not, not quantity, just, just quality. Just a few minutes. It won't be long. We'll just have some fun. You can't really control yourself. Let me help you. Let me help you. It's just between you and me. No one need knows it. No one needs to know about this. It's just a bit of fun. It's no harm. What about God, you say? You don't have to worry about God. God doesn't know what fun is. God, I mean, he's so old-fashioned. God doesn't know what happiness is. He doesn't know what fun is. And of course, if you do blow it, well, God will forgive you. It's his job, isn't it? It's his KPI. You see how deceitful sin is. It tells you lies. So what do you do when sin is clamoring for your attention, when sin, sin is climbing all over you? Well, you need to start thinking straight. Get up from the chair. Get out of the bed. Walk around. Start talking to yourself. That is what Paul is saying. Don't you know? Don't you know? Think about it. Use your head. Martin, I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need to be like this anymore. I need to talk to myself. We need to talk to ourselves. People say people who take, talk to themselves are mad. That's nonsense. You and I need to talk to ourselves. We need to lecture ourselves. Martin, you don't need to do that anymore. You don't belong there anymore. That is not who you are anymore. 
Sin died when Christ died on the cross. Your sin died. You've been adopted into a new family. Don't go back to the streets of Hillbrow sniffing glue and drinking half-empty bottles of beer. You belong to a new family, a new master. Don't go back there. Don't listen to the lies. Stop thinking like a non-Christian. Stop thinking that you have to obey sin. No, you're under new ownership. Talk to yourself. I don't need to do that. It doesn't bring me any joy. It doesn't bring me peace. I just feel miserable. Don't go back there, Martin. Right now, there may be someone here this evening or listening on, on the website who may be committing adultery, who may be living with someone who's not your spouse. Well, if you're a Christian, you need to start thinking straight. Start thinking straight. This can only end in tears. Believe me, it can only end in tears. There are no benefits in adultery. There are none. It will end badly. Talk to yourself. Say to yourself, I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to be like this anymore. I belong to someone else. I no longer belong to sin. Sin is no longer my master. I'm under new ownership. In the old days, when sin was my master, I almost had no choice. But it's no longer so. So remember who you are. Get up from that chair. Get out of that bed. Say, Martin, think. Who do you belong to? You don't belong to sin anymore. It's a garbage. There's no peace there. There's no joy there. Just get out of here. Do you not know, says Paul, Sin is no longer my boss. Jesus is my boss. Stop thinking like a non-Christian. Sin is a slave driver. I'm free to be a slave of Jesus. Why do we say no to sin? Not because of law. Because law can never change your heart. But because of love. The love of Jesus on the cross.